CC, Growth Journeys from Emerging Ecosystems to Global Markets. So I think the uh, the world of ESG and impact are important for everyone, both for startups, you know, for entrepreneurs that are at this point in time, all they have is a PowerPoint presentation and all the way to these big unicorns who are already way deep, uh, deeply embedded in the market and need to uh, think about their product and their offering and how they manage their companies. This was Cecile from Pitango. Israel's largest venture capital fund with over $1.8 billion under management. Cecile is the head of impact and sustainability, helping Pitango and their portfolio companies to apply environmental, social and corporate governance and sustain the fund's operations accordingly. Cecile, thank you for joining us on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So you're in Israel, right? I'm in Tel Aviv, yes. How are the things currently there? And are you working from home office? We're working from everywhere, actually, both uh, office and home. Today I'm home, which is really great as a hybrid system. And well, like everyone else, we're concerned about this new variant of COVID, but most people are vaccinated here. So seems to be uh, protecting the population. We currently have a rather low number of uh, people who are hospitalized. So hopefully we're getting over this uh, fourth wave in a good way. Yeah, hopefully. Okay, then let's begin with your background. So you have a beautiful background regarding impact investing. You founded and eventually became the managing partner of Impact First, focusing on for-profit social enterprises with high and measurable social impact. You are currently a committee member at Eventure ESG, which aims to help venture capital firms integrate ESG governance into their operations. And you are also currently the head of impact and sustainability at Pitango. A prominent VC fund, not only in Israel, I think, but all around the world. What derives your motivation to be in the impact side of the investment world? And what's your job definition in Pitango VC? So at Pitango, I had, like you said, impact and sustainability, which is a pretty big title to understand that Pitango as a mainstream VC, which has been in operation for about 28 years and has almost $3 billion under management, has decided to adopt the world of impact and sustainability into its mainstream overall operations. I think this is the big breakthrough. It's not about setting up a separate pool of capital for impact, but instead it's about bringing the ideas of ESG and the sustainable development goals and everything we know about impact and sustainability into our own general operations. And, and that's that's the big deal. So this is my job description and my responsibilities at Pitango. Great. So when I think about ESG, I first, you know, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is diversity and especially gender. I guess it, because it's maybe the oldest basic clustering that humankind faced. And I don't think many ecosystems, even the mature ones, are not even close to establish gender equality. Although it's statistically proven that diverse ecosystems, diverse teams have higher returns on positive exits, only 2.3% global VC funding went to women-led startups in 2020. I guess this is mainly because investors are highly tend to stick to their existing networks or many investors may be looking for similar kinds of investment opportunities that they have conducted earlier. 
It's also, I think, worth to mention that only 12% of decision makers at VC firms are women. Hence, I guess it's fair to call, unfortunately, the startup ecosystem an enduring boys club in the 21st century. So how long do you think it will take for the global ecosystem, global startup ecosystem, to achieve the gender and other kinds of diversity? And what does it take for venture capitals and startups as well to accomplish a diverse environment? Well, first of all, you're spot on. And uh, obviously, diversity is about more than just gender. But if we just take gender as an example, in other parts of the economy, there is better or moving faster in terms of equality. And many of these derivative of uh, government restrictions or even laws that have been put forward by governments regarding public companies, regarding governmental companies in terms of the number of women that are on those boards and on management teams. So I think that has moved and this is not the case in the venture world. The venture capital world is a private equity world and it is managed based on its own rules. And it's not that there is a rule to exclude women from entrepreneurship and and boards and management teams, but there's also no real incentive to include them. At least not until recently when we started seeing research that shows that diverse teams, like you said, are actually creating better companies, more resilient and even more profitable. But still, it's an evidence thing that takes time to prove. Also, I think that the world of technology and startups is a world that needs to materialize. It's moving rather slowly. So if you think about women in STEM education, it's very hard to come to the VCs now and say, okay, you're not investing enough in women founders that are developing new technologies when actually their absolute numbers in the ecosystem is small. Because there aren't enough girls going to STEM education in school, there's not enough girls and young women in universities in in STEM, and therefore their numbers are just not big enough to create more startups. So that's a systemic problem that needs to be handled in a cooperative way with other kinds of organizations like the education system, like the universities, and even all the way to how you parent your children. I think there's a difference in parenting of girls and boys in a way that puts girls in a direction of doing things that are not entrepreneurial and not technology-driven, whereas for boys, it's actually more encouraged. So it's also about us as parents and how we parent our children, what messages we give to them, what encouragement we give to them, how we lead them to believe in themselves and being able to initiate and create new ideas and bring them to life. This also has to do with our roles as parents. Even with that, I think there's a lot that the uh, venture capital industry can do to increase representation in startups. It starts with including many more women into the investment teams. So VCs need to be themselves more inclusive and more diverse. So people like you who are working in VCs, young women who have the right education, who have the right notion and have the right passion to make this change need to be included more and more in VCs. And that's something that will actually lead to more women taking the decisions or sitting around the table. So that changes the room dynamics. Number two, VCs need to be way more open to include and review female founders. They also have to be very open to understand their own biases because everybody has bias, all of us, men and women, and we need to recognize it and do something to reduce them, whether that means bringing a woman from the investment team on the call or on the in the room to change the atmosphere, whether it means thinking about the ways or questions that are being asked to women founders, whether it means that you need to 
realize that maybe women founders have a different way of presenting than men founders, which might not be the same thing and might not be less good, but just different. So there's a lot to do about biases. There's a lot to do about educating and getting women founders ready for investments with their product design, their product market fit, their business development, their go-to-market strategies, all these things. They need to improve and make sure that they're on par with their male counterparts. So that's the jobs of accelerators and consultants. We need to see much more corporate VCs step in and invest in uh, women founders that are in their domains. So there's really a lot to do around that. And just one final word about that. The high-tech ecosystem is not only comprised of tech people. There are a lot of other people in the ecosystem who actually make this huge machine work. And I'm talking about marketing and HR and product management and project management and finance and, and so many other domains of execution that need to be in place in these companies in order to make them successful. And there's certainly a huge place for women to take these roles. So even if they weren't in STEM education and they don't have a degree in computer science, they can still be excellent in, in operations, in product management, in finance and marketing and whatnot. So there's a room to include many more women into the industry. Yeah, to be honest, as 500 Istanbul, for our first fund, 30% of the portfolio companies are women-led. But obviously, we are not doing so well in our second fund in terms of gender diversity around our investments. We are a relatively new fund, by the way, invested in seven companies so far, of which all co-founders are men. We don't intend to keep it that way, of course, but I would say that it might be a pipeline issue with the root cause of operating in an emerging market. What would you recommend for VCs facing the same issue and how would, do you, as head of impact at Pitango VC, support your fund and portfolio companies regarding that? Well, so you're mentioning two important factors. One is that you're in an emerging market, but I don't think that should be excluding women. As a matter of fact, I think women are very innovative in emerging markets in creating solutions. And number two, that you're still at seven companies. So there's a lot of room to, uh, to improve. I think that having a public statement saying that you have someone in the fund that is responsible for these issues and that you care about including more women founders it makes some of the way for that. So if you make it public enough, then it resonates and people are talking about it. And if you spread the news in different women organizations, women entrepreneurs organizations, they will consider your fund because they will think that you're making this public statement and you want to support women founders and you're looking for the best of them. So they'll approach you more. So I think this is uh, very much about market awareness and making sure that everybody knows that you're out there looking for female founders. It's also about training and giving opportunities. So in our case, for example, we do quite a lot of office hours with women founders, even ones that we don't think we'll be able to fund either because they're too early or they're not in the domain that we invest in or for any other reason, it doesn't matter. We have a few people in the fund that are providing office hours, myself included, but also the major and older partners of the fund and the younger women partners as well. So they're doing one-on-ones with women entrepreneurs that are presenting and we're providing them with feedback that helps them present better, think about things that are missing and, you know, just train on making these presentations to investors. Also, we participate a lot in all kinds of events where 
and competitions where women founders are have the chance to present and again to get some feedback on their presentation, on their product, on their offering. I think this is really very important. We're trying to also encourage mixed teams. So it's not only about just women founders. Sometimes it's a mixed team of men and women, which really is also important because it's another way for women to get ahead with a men co-founder and, and maybe their next venture will be themselves only, but it's also a good thing. And I think that also needs to be encouraged in our portfolio, which is a legacy portfolio. We have over 80 companies in our portfolio right now. About 13% are women or co-founded by women, which is not great. Maybe it's a little bit better than average, but it's really not great. And we're trying to, to really push that. Another thing we're doing is we're participating in supporting a VC academy, which is starting now to include and teach a course for women who want to be included in VCs. That will hopefully create a cohort of uh, women that will be ready to engage in VCs and having VCs, uh, women in VCs around the table will help invest in more women and they bring their network. So yeah, these are the measures that we take right now just the top of my head, but it's going to be more and more important and more and more inclusive. So uh, yeah, I think it's so much easier to build that culture from the ground up than to retrofit. So how do you recommend early stage startups to do so? And how should they allocate their resources while trying to scale up? And secondly, what do you recommend to the startups who are not in their early stages anymore? So I think the, uh, the world of ESG and impact are important for everyone, both for startups, you know, for entrepreneurs that are at this point in time, all they have is a PowerPoint presentation and all the way to these big unicorns who are already way deep, uh, deeply embedded in the market and need to uh, think about their product and their offering and how they manage their companies. Each stage is different. Each stage needs a different kind of approach. But at the end of the day, the result should be the same. The result should be that if you're an early stage startup, you should think about your ESG. So your the way that you're going to hire people to make sure that you build a diverse team, the way that you're going to be inclusive to people who are joining and how to source candidates from diverse populations and include them and make sure that the company environment is inclusive for them. You're going to think about how you treat our planet and the environment. So where should you establish an office? Should you think about putting it maybe next door to a train station to make it more accessible for people without a car so that they don't need to use a single occupancy car? You might think about zero plastic policy. You should think about your corporate governance with regards to policies around anti-sexual harassment, around code of ethics, around anti-corruption. All these things are things you should think about in terms of your internal ESG. And in terms of your product, if your product and you're designing something that can actually have a positive impact on society and our planet, you should blend this into your product design and your product offering. There are methodologies to help you do that. You can use a methodology called the theory of change or the five dimensions of impact. Try to get a hold of a, some consultant that can help you build your impact strategy. And I think this will be very important to you on how you build your product and also how you're gaining uh, traction with customers. So that's on, a, on the early stage part. On the growth part, so there's large corporates, they need to go through a snapshot of how they manage their operations. How diverse are they? What do they do about including uh, people from diverse populations? What do they do about 
the way that they source candidates, their management teams, how many people from the company are actually accessing the management positions, their boards, what do they do about climate? And still, if possible, what do they do about their product? How they see their product serving some goal out of the 17 SDGs? These are things that can be implemented. Again, usually you will need someone to walk you through that process and help you either do it with you or mentor you through it, which is what I do with our companies at Pitango. Not all the funds have that capacity, so I'm really encouraging companies, funds, to reach out to uh, consultants that can help them go through that process and, and really integrate accepted global methodologies and criteria so that they can really blend into the existing need of the market and not just reinvent whatever they want to uh, brand as, as ESG. So there's room for everyone, both the early stage companies as well as the big unicorns. As 500 Istanbul, prior to the investment closure, we provide our portfolio companies with a survey which helps us to understand their vision towards ESG governance and their strategy for it. Also, we provide them with a little bit of advisory and content, which may help them understand the power of the governance as well. So how do you promote ESG among your portfolio companies and how do you think they're performing regarding that? And do you regularly keep track of metrics and how do you motivate or persuade the portfolio companies for ESG governance? So we speak about ESG and governance during our due diligence process when this is a new investment. And we also have an ESG clause that we include in our term sheet, which is very important and is actually setting the commitment, which is both on our side and on the company's side to work together in order to create an ESG strategy that can be approved and can be continuously improved. The way I engage with them is by... Usually it's an introduction by the relevant partner that makes the investment. We have an onboarding session with the startups that where we present all of the activities that Pitango is providing startups around legal and finance and marketing and HR and value creation, business development and ESG. So during that onboarding session, we each present what we are here to help the companies with. And then following that, we have an onboarding session one-on-one. -on -one. This is where we start thinking about what needs to be done in the company. Of course, it's tweaked to the size, the stage, the domain of the company, which differs, of course, between companies. And once that is done, we set a course on implementing it by selecting impact task force in the company that is being mentored by me on a weekly basis. We expect the company to report on that progress every quarter in their board meeting and keep moving forward in some incremental change that we want to see. The engagement with the startups is relatively easy. I don't think that there's any question of the if. They all want to engage with ESG and implement it. It's always about how. How are we going to do this? What are the resources needed in terms of time and, and money to implement it? What's the timing? Is the timing good right now? Because if they're in the middle of a fundraising round, then it's harder for them to concentrate on that. It needs to be in sync with their business operations. The management team has to be involved so that there is total buy-in from them in terms of the KPIs and implementation. So these are things that, that we see happening with the companies. And that's really working very, very well. I think they're very happy to work with us on this and to be mentored but they do the heavy lifting. So if it's a small startup that just got started, of course, it's an easy process. It's rather quick. 
and it sets things in motion that as they grow, they keep going back to what they put in the drawer around all these issues of ESG and they start implementing them and that's gradual and it's easier. When it's larger companies, it's more about thinking about new policies and how to implement them. It's a bit more difficult, so it takes longer. But at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not a difficult process. And the employees are very, very engaged with it. They like it. They're volunteering to participate in the impact task force. So I think it's actually worked really very well. Having said that, we haven't implemented that on all of our portfolio. As I said, we have over 80 companies in our portfolio. At this point, I'm the only professional that's working on that. So it's taking time. And next to that, also working with the due diligence and the investment process, it's quite overwhelming, I would say. So so it's a process. We're not implementing it across all companies and across all funds. It's gradual, but it's definitely in the process. It's definitely growing. We ourselves are also signatories of PRI. So we do an audit for PRI. We implement the principles of responsible investing. So it's, we are also being reviewed externally. As I said, it's not 100% working in everything we do, but it's a process that we're implementing. And we hope that in the next couple of years, it's going to be implemented throughout. For how long has Pitango been supporting and motivating its portfolio companies regarding ESG governance? I think even might be the first question should be, how did Pitango decide to take action in the first place and hire a head of impact? We've been thinking about it for the past couple of years. I've joined formally. I've joined in the first quarter of 2020. So it's been almost uh, two years now. And the reason that the partners took that decision to appoint a full-time professional, I think is a derivative of the fact that I have been involved with Pitango for many years. I founded, like you said in the beginning, impact investing company called Impact First Investments that focused on investing in early stage startups that are what I call impact natives. And when I was doing that, I convinced Pitango to be my partner. And they came on board a few years after I founded Impact First. And really helped me with a lot of the processes from due diligence into deal uh, structuring, board positions, investment committee, really a lot of help. And I kept saying that I'm a Trojan horse and they would actually eventually fall in love with the idea of the world of impact and sustainability and adopt it. And that was, of course, part of the reason. So they were all involved in it. They saw it happen way before it was popular or still when people are thinking that if you're making impact, then you must be reducing your expectations on profits, which is totally untrue. So that's one part. The second part is that the world really is moving towards ESG and it is implemented in the public markets for the past 30 years, in the private equity markets for the past 10 years. It's about time that venture capital would adopt ESG. And my partners are really very adept in what's going on in the market. And they're thinking always visionaries about the future. Pitango was also the first fund to divide its teams into three separate funds that are in different stages. It was also always thinking forward about the domains for example, things like digital health, which uh, they were among the first to, to invest in. So they were always visionaries. And this is also why I chose them as my partners. And I think with that, they were visionaries as well. They assumed that the market must be adopting ESG in venture capital. It must be part of the mainstream activities of any VC. And they just decided to take the jump or, or you know, just be innovative and entrepreneurial about adopting it and, you know, realizing that this is a process. We don't convert and migrate everybody on day one. Things take time, but they really wanted to be leading the market. 
This is also why they asked me to join because I have this 20 years of experience and because I do try to lead the market in general globally in terms of adopting ESG and impact. So I think they wanted to make a statement that this is not just about having a consultant, but rather really taking somebody who has a leadership mindset and a leadership position in the market to integrate it within Pitango and to turn Pitango into a leader. So it's really about vision. It's about being able to take a risk think entrepreneurial and also letting go because they really didn't know what this would look like after I joined and what it would entail for the companies and how the companies would react to it. So it was all very big unknown and they were lenient enough and positive enough to think that we could pull this off and we did. So I'm really very proud of them for that. Thank you so much, Cecile. I think lots of great information you gave us on this podcast and I think I have a lot to learn from you as an ESG specialist in our fund. I actually contacted Cecile when I became the ESG specialist at 500 Istanbul, and she gave me a lot of advice and recommendation for me to support our portfolio companies. And I am still learning from her a lot of things regarding ESG. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all the information Thank you very much for having me, Tunia, and thank you for what you're doing, because it's so important that people like you, young women who are innovative and entrepreneurial, are joining funds and think about ESG as their vocation and their mission, and not just reinventing things, but reaching out to people who have the experience, because we can always learn from each other. And I learn every day from people like you too. So I, I think it's really commendable what you're doing, and I encourage you to keep going Keep innovating and keep scaling your operations so that uh, 500 in Turkey and everywhere else will be taking your lead and replicating your activities to really make our world a much, much better place. With the newest generation and ESG regulations adopted by many markets and geographies, venture capital funds need to motivate and adopt sustainability actions quickly. To stay in the loop, go to our website getcc.com or follow us at GetCC on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.